You're listening to Frankly My Dear, the podcast. I'm Fariza. And I really just want to hear from you, women with a story to tell. No lies, no drama. Okay, maybe just a little bit. I hope you like it here. Let's get started. And welcome to Frankly My Dear, I'm Fariza. You're in a safe space for honest conversations with other women in our communities. Um, my special guest today is a woman who wears many hats, and some of you may have even seen her on TV, on the news, and given that the buzz um, right now is all about GE 2020 and COVID-19, and how even media platforms can be the news themselves, I thought it would be fitting for our guest today to be someone who has seen it all, right? She served as a journalist on the ground, uh, even in front of the camera, and I want to hear from her, like her own perspectives to some hot button issues. Please welcome Ilakia Silveraji, also known as Ella. Hi, Ella, and thank you for being here. Hey, hi. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast and congrats on this. Thank you. Um, look, let's first just get this out of the way. I, I have no idea what these four terms, like how, how they differentiate, okay? So journalist, reporter, broadcaster, news presenter, what's the difference and does it matter? Of course. So... Um, <laughs> Everything is under the same sky, but all with different horizons, I think. Um, journalist and reporter, yes, the same. We report news and you know um, do our own organic content. News broadcaster, usually we will tag them to the point where it's a, a newscaster, an mm-hmm. anchor, um, you know, a presenter on air. Okay. Yeah. So, so you would have been a journalist as well as a broadcaster, or how would you kind of? Yes. Yeah. So I used to, by the way, I'm an ex news journalist and a presenter currently. I'm, I'm working. Yeah. I, I, I just recently left the job mm-hmm. with a heavy heart, but I know I'm going to be uh, jumping back there <laughs> in, in the new future, near future. But yes. So I used to be a journalist and a newscaster, a presenter on air, having my own current affairs program. I've been, uh, I've done digital radio and then I've also done organic content. Uh, and I love it. I love being a journalist. I love being tagged as a journalist also. <laughs> okay. So honestly speaking, we're fresh out of another round of general elections. Um, what are your quick thoughts as a voter this time surrounding this year's elections? A voter, um, I think, uh, okay, so now I'm, I'm with an agency right now. Mm-hmm. So before this, I used to gather information. I used to, uh, you know, be on the ground, especially with G2020, uh, sorry, G2015, where, you know, um, yeah, I'm on the front of the lines. We're trying to get uh, interviews from the politicians and stuff. Now with the new job, I am um, at the back end watching and also seeing how things go. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been very different. As a voter, um, it's been exciting, especially I was awake until 5 a.m. I'm sure all of us would have been, right? Yeah. <laughs> and oh, you know, awaiting those results. And I think a lot of it spoke about how the young voters think and also how the political ground has been changing is changing is about to change also um, moving forward in fact I think people spoke through their votes this time round um, they may not be ready for a new government but they are ready to see change and I think slowly but surely we are looking at changes and it's about time where all the political parties regardless of who they are to really step up and see what exactly the people are really uh, you know 
expecting or thinking. Hmm. You've um you've covered GE twenty fifteen on the ground as a journalist, yeah. Um, I think watching whatever that was unfolding this year, I was really impressed with how some of the reporters were covering the news live. Um, was that similar to what you did in twenty fifteen? Mm, so, uh, yes, of course. Uh, I used to be the journalist on ground. I used to be with Tamil News. Mm-hmm. Uh, I re- I, before I left Mediacorp, I uh, was with the Channel News Asia as a news presenter. Mm-hmm. So before that, I was with Tamil News. I was a journalist. And during the GE 2015, I did the overnight live crosses. At, um, and it was super exciting. It was one of the best moments in my career because you get to see people, you know, physical rallies happening when it's, when it's a victory, you see people going chaotic and screaming, you know, um, and then, and then when, when, when one ground loses and then you see differences, it was spectacular in my sense. What, um, were you covering a particular party? Mm-hmm, yes. Um, so I was following People's Action Party mm-hmm. and especially the Aljunet um, GRC, which will, which usually is very, very strongly, uh, you know, looked on and, and to see whether who wins and stuff like that. So it was really good. Um, in fact, it was the, one of the last few ones to be announced and it was already like 4 a.m., 5 a.m. plus. In my, whole of, uh, in my whole of a journalist career, that day was the day where I did nearly 20 spiels live and and they will you know like for example from the studio they will keep calling us but we don't have any much thing to say because we're all awaiting the the results so it was really interesting because you had to cook up a lot of different things you had to think from different perspective from a person who's you know you know being in the party who's there as a supporter from someone who's a first-time voter from someone who wants their party to win from someone from the opposition so you have to think from different perspective and each time they throw back to you from the studio you have to think of new things to say to the audiences watching that. So it was a really good experience. So even as, I'm sure even as journalists, like you would have your own political inclinations, right? So did you find it difficult to kind of not make it obvious that you were maybe rallying behind a certain party? You had to be completely impartial in that sense. Did you struggle with that? No, I didn't really struggle. I mean, you see, uh, for example, my whole point about politics is that I expect a government that really thinks about what the people wants. Mm. Um, they should be, it, it, it's just like a family, you know, you have a father over there, the father should be able to take care of the kids well and good, meet the expectations, try to bring us through a good future. That's how I see it. And whoever deserves it, whoever has a deserving candidate or a manifesto, that is exactly what I want. Um, of course, when it comes to my GRC, then I, you know, when it comes to voting, then that's a different question altogether. But on ground as a journalist, I always stay neutral to my job. Um, mm. I never struggled to find a balance in that. What was your most memorable like um, experience working, you know, during the GE 2015? Were there crazy fans that you had to kind of interview or, you know, like, politicians who who are not friendly with the media i mean what were some of your most memorable <laughs> just give me one like one politicians oh i politicians are always very friendly to the media especially around elections also <laughs> okay, so, okay you know no no issues with the politicians but of course with the supporters mm. they were all crazy you know like when when we are doing a live cross and then you interview for example uh, party x and then the party y they will look at you they will stare at you and then after the interview they'll come and be like can you interview someone from my party and then we're like okay <laughs> right okay okay 
So you have to make sure yeah. that you're like fair and balanced in that sense. But do you have like, um, you know, when you're on camera and, and you're, you're doing your broadcast, are there like crazy fans behind you waving and that kind of thing? You have to deal with that. Yeah, that, yeah sometimes, you know, it's not really that uh, bad in Singapore. Okay, okay. In Singapore, yeah, we don't really see much of that. But it has happened uh, when when doing a spiel and then you have people at the back, you know, when you're doing a live cross, you look at you, they will try to do funny things it has happened so so i have a i have a i'm just gonna deviate a bit so one okay. of the funniest moments that happened was uh we were doing Diwali. we do like a spectacular Diwali show every year uh-huh. it's like an outdoor news broadcast it happens for Berita. it happens for all the the news channels um this was once uh it's it was i think my second year into the job and then i was doing this live cross right at the beginning when I'm going hey hello thanks for passing down to me and there was this guy directly in front of my face into the camera so <laughs> it was an eclipse moment we call it the eclipse moment where you get the sun and the, <laughs> the moon to be right in front of each other it's like I am voice you can hear my voice but there's another guy just looking straight to the camera and I had to nicely move to the side it and was this was funny. live I had, it was live Oh my god! Is this on YouTube or anything? No, I, I, I can't remember if I still have that clip. But it was funny. We will never forget that scene because you can't push that guy away. My, my assistant producers who were around me, they are trying to tell him the shoe, but he was just oblivious to the whole environment. So, <laughs> I will never forget that moment, lah. <laughs> okay, um, moving on to slightly more serious things, right? Um, press coverage for political or national events like G2020 and COVID-19. Um, let's talk about how Singapore is ranked, uh, um, I think, 158 in the World Press Index mm. this year for 2020. Mm. Um, so mm. Even countries like Myanmar, Rwanda, I think even um, Republic, Republic of Congo ranks higher than we do. In your experience as a journalist, do you think this is a fair assessment of press freedom in this country? Wow, tricky question. Mm. It's good that I'm out of it. Don't know whether I can go back in if I answer this. But <laughs> good question. The question, okay. See, um, we, how do I say? We do have press freedom. It depends on what kind of story we're doing. Uh, mm. If I can be very... I'm going to beat around the bush a bit, but I'll try to be as honest as possible. We always have an eye overlooking us, whatever story we present, especially when it comes to politics and and more serious agendas. So whatever that comes out, it will come out with a strong, vetted point of view. But of course, there are certain newspapers, uh, certain channels, digital channels. Alternative media? Yeah, maybe you can say, I mean, more strongly the alternative media, but even in the mainstream media, some editors try to put uh, what is happening on the ground as it is Hmm. but unfortunately for mainstream media um, we try not to cross the line Hmm. because of other reasons that are anchoring the whole company itself and and the agenda so you have to be very very careful we we try not to propaganda we don't because i think as journalists it's only ethical to say that no you're not supposed to propaganda stuff mm-hmm. but again we have our own restrictions and boundaries for us to you know take care of and and to be very wary of also do you ever feel pressured to cover or not cover a story or to be careful about the way you deliver news especially with regards to national interests Yes, of course. So when it comes to a story with national interest, definitely we are very careful. I think even the reporters on ground uh, during elections, Mm. during budget rally, 
we are very, very careful of what we say. There are guidelines that, that are told to us that we are not supposed to, you know, cross those boundary lines, as I said. Mm-hmm. And it is very crucial because uh, in any case you cross it, it is very difficult to really do damage control. Do you know of any journalist who has crossed the line in that sense or any editor without naming names or publication? Um, yes, of course. I think, I mean, it's actually very difficult. Um, sometimes you try to be a very, very ethical, true journalist, but we have our own constraints. And uh, I do get frustrated sometimes, you know, like, huh, why I am trying to portray something that's on the ground, but we have to be very, very careful. I mean, at the end of the day, we're a comparatively a smaller nation. Mm-hmm. We have so many um, races and religions. And I think more importantly, we don't want to hurt any, uh, we don't want to bring any damage to the economy also in that sense. You know, you know because like you said, stakeholders. So all these are things that we need to be so careful of. Uh, it annoys me sometimes. Yes, of course, it, it annoys me so much because I feel that I am not being true to what I see and what I deliver, but I try to do it as much as possible. So sometimes I do get into, uh, you know, very heated debates with my editors and executive producers mm. to really show what I see on ground. Going back to, you've, you said you've heard stories about journalists who have crossed the line. Um, can you give one specific example of when this happened and what were the repercussions? Like, were they fired? Were they fined? Um, what happened there? Mm. Okay, so I will not go into details, but yes, the person was told to leave the uh, the company mm. um, because yes, uh, and it was a it, it did spark uh, an outcry throughout the nation in a, mm. in a sense. If you ask me as a journalist to take a stand, I felt sad for that person because all of us tried to put in our hundred percent best. You know, we we try to deliver what we are because not everyone is a journalist. And as a as an audience, I want to give you what is really on the ground. We want to also be the voices to people. So I I feel that as much as politicians are also voices on the ground, we journalists are supposed to be voices for the community. We have that strength, we have that wonderful medium to really portray whatever's happening on ground. Uh, and, and we need to be given that freedom and that sense. We are given the freedom currently. We are not, I wouldn't say we are like, you know, like 98%. Oh, you don't have the freedom. No, no. I am saying in terms of specifics, even like national interests, um, content, politics, there can be a little bit more of a leeway and mm. that person actually crossed it when it came to that, that when it came to that political this was recent and it was a couple of years okay and it was made news that that he or she was fired not fired ah. told to leave the company so you see yeah so that's a that's a very very great fine line between being told uh, being published as fired and left the company or told mm. to leave the company. So this is again politics, right? In in a different world, in a different sense. Now that um, so you said you're an you're an ex-journalist and you've made a career switch uh, this year, and you're able to view things from the outside in a sense. Um, what do you mm. think of the current COVID nineteen coverage amongst you know government bodies, uh, mainstream and alternative media? I think it's fantastic. Mm. You see, no one expected COVID to really go out of hand this fast. It was rapid. So, mm. of course, we expected a lot of if, um, you know, cause and effects from it. But 
it was just too rapid and so i think our mainstream media they have been working day and night for the coverage because we engage them uh, we do media opportunities facilitating them for for various stories so being on this side i really can see the way they are trying to give a sense to the audiences of what's happening on various perspectives various organizations from a perspective of a covid um a covid affected person from a recovered person from from a family which is affected by a soul breadwinner so they are trying so hard to really put up a lot of different content to it and again i should also give it give it to the ministries who've been working hard day and night because i think a lot of the time i i i have come to appreciate the agency's efforts Mm. after being in one because as a journalist we are used to be very frustrated because sometimes i don't get a proper spokesperson sometimes um we get delayed response when it comes to media queries but when you are in this phase and you see things from this perspective you see that there is so much and um so much when i say so much it's not just our civil servants who are working but also in terms of the bureaucracy and the and the way the government is being uh, is managing every single aspect of it mm. and i really respect it you know so i i get to see what a journalist had to do from that point of view and now i get to see what we get we got you know when i was a journalist what we got from the media from mm. from the ministries and now being in one of the agencies itself i get to know how we try to accommodate to a to whatever a journalist is is you know asking for or a story that we can pitch to them or tell them guys you know you also have to look at this point of view it has been really good and we work hand in hand with them i'm really surprised that that you're saying that um that the way all of these parties have handled covid-19 coverage so far has been excellent because from what i gather on ground and by on ground i mean you know comments online especially from independent or alternative news media there's been a lot of unhappiness with how the government has been sort of managing the situation and with mainstream media being an extension or, or a way for the government bodies to relay this information to the public that there are some improvements that need to be made so so i'm surprised i think you've offered some kind of um, alternative or rather an insider's opinion or experience what exa- what exactly happens within the agencies and how agencies have been working together with with journalists to kind of disseminate this information as timely as possible um okay so when i say excellent i think i'm oh, i was i i was referring to the way our medias were covering you know giving mm. coverage whatever mm. it may be about mm-hmm. whatever is happening on ground and they've been doing a great job on that in terms of ministries they've been working day and night a lot mm-hmm. of the times we as as a public you know whoever's not in the civil service or even in the ministries that are involved would not know what is happening behind and there's a lot and i think i i i've never felt so responsible before i came into this job i feel that i play a huge role because this is something that we all are um okay. it is okay to criticize i i think it is really okay and you see um yes improvements of course there is rooms for improvement there are a lot of things even i think our ministers during the press conferences they try to accept um you know accept certain things that that could have been done better uh moving forward but again it's about how much of criticism you want to put in place rather than to really understand what is happening sometimes i feel that you know you you cannot just keep criticizing you must also see whether are there any improvements being made are there any steps being taken are the actions that are being taken right are they in the right direction as much as you want to criticize something you must also think about what kind of solutions are being come up 
mm. you know I put across also I think some um sometimes we we stick to criticisms too much and we don't really look at what other actions are being taken because yes I mean when you look at this whole covid situation especially in the dorms and stuff so much of backlashes and um the government had to handle all those on top of all the various actions so you had a joint ministerial joint intertask agency um task force members who were working to put the dorm situation into control as much as possible mm-hmm. you had communications the the whole of government communications trying to see how to rectify and and to really put across what are the actions that the government are taking we had the mainstream media engaged there and then to really tell them guys you see we know there are issues these are the actions that are being taken so please look at it cuz unless you invite them to really see what is happening they will never know what is actually happening within mm-hmm. and even our mainstream medias they have been very honest i wouldn't say they really cited the government or you know they were against no i think they pretty much held neutral positions uh, in the sense that it was bad the dorm situations was bad it was bad the mm-hmm. photos that they put out you know yeah it was exactly what it it was and even in ministries when we send you know photos and images and videos because you see during this situation they couldn't come into the dormitories most of the mainstream media and um yeah so they had to um use you know most of them had to use the images and footages that we sent across and we we did not um how do i say we did not make sure that the photos were very clean and stuff so there are a lot of things over here at stake and i think at the end of the day public needs to know what is happening we cannot singapore did not um really cover up anything uh, i i think so we have activists we have ngos we have um a lot of analysts and critics all around and we respect everyone i personally respect everyone's intentions i think all of us are towards the same goal of making things better for all of us and to really overcome this pandemic period as soon as possible now mm. let's talk about your beginnings as a media professional how did it start <laughs> oh that nice yay <laughs> so um i graduated in 2013 um from uh, ntu i did mm-hmm. mechanical engineering I hated mechanical engineering but I had no choice my father Why? is a mechanical engineer um I wanted to do arts but um my parents were not really supportive they thought that art had no future that's a typical stereotype that you know it, it was and then um but so I went ahead with my mechanical engineering I did not like it and mm-hmm. not even a single moment except for me you know meeting my husband and and that was the nicest moments <laughs> nothing else <laughs> um so what i decided during my after my first year was that i had to do something about it you cannot expect me to be an engineer you know i told myself i will not be able to survive being an engineer i have no other choice i mean i mean here yeah. so um i started looking at media so I, i i first of all i reflected on what was my strength my strength is me talking <laughs> meeting people i love to talk <laughs> whoever <laughs> sees me knows that i love to talk and i'm quite noisy <laughs> and honest you know that's my yeah i i'm just very raw in that sense sometimes i try to put a come across quite curt also I try not to lah. And then I said, "Hey, why not try for an internship at uh, maybe Tamil News because um for you know, as much as I love journalism, I love Tamil language mm-hmm. and uh, my mother tongue is not Tamil, so um I, we speak another language at home, but I love 
Tamil language and I wanted to com- uh, contribute in a way to it. And that's when I applied for an internship with Mediacorp's Tamil Savvy, which is the Tamil News Division. So um, this was when and- you were still at NTU, you started an internship? Yes. Okay. Yes. Second year. Second year. I remember it's in 2010 and uh, my father didn't know that I was called for an interview. I went for an interview without informing him. Dramatic. but And then I got it. <laughs> and I got selected and they told me that I, I did ask them why did you select me when there were other mass comm students who applied for it and they were like we just want to give you a chance because you had a different resume mm-hmm. i was i was a national uh tamil debater best speaker so i had some eca's achievements that 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 actually got me into that internship in that sense so those are things that only academics can bring you to better places you're wrong okay so <laughs> um Agreed. And then I got, I landed the internship and I interned there for for a good six months. After that, I um, was given a part-time position. So um, I will never forget those days because seven days a week, I used to have classes three or four days. The rest of the days, I was working full-time at Mediacorp every single day oh. um, for the next three years. And um, before I graduated, I got my uh, a job offer from them. Mm. I was also the only intern who, um, who was given a chance to do my piece to cameras during my internship. So it, and, uh, during my, my internship and also my uh, part-time position over there. Wait, so what do you say? Some excellent. Piece to canvas? P- piece to camera. Okay, okay. What does so, that mean? You know, the one where, so the one where the reporter comes on end, like a 30 seconds, we'll try to summarize. It's just like a live first, but the, the rec- like for when they do like a story, you you know, you go like, um, so so Singapore is moving towards a pandemic period. How are we going to come across? The government is making some changes. Okay, uh, okay. This is like, yeah, for Channel News Asia, blah. Yeah. So that, that portion. I so, see. Okay. So, it, it so let me just, on. let me just pause you there. Cause I think, I think your career start was quite amazing because, I went to NTU too and I have met people who studied engineering at NTU and they are very, very quiet. And I, I was from like the communication side of NTU. So I, I can see how someone like you who wow. made a crossover to, to like becoming a reporter or journalist um, that much more impressive because like, like you said, like you, you, you didn't have on-ground experience in that sense, but you had a very real interest and you wanted to make that crossover and, and you did. So that was like a good success story, right? Thank you. Yes. Uh, I think at the end of the day, Fariza, any job you do, passion is the most important thing. If Without passion, you will never be able to sustain nor outshine anyone. Looking back, my, my journey as a journalist, my, my, my job at Mediacorp, it's the most precious thing to me because it, the struggle was real. You know, I landed, I had to struggle for every single milestone within my journey as a, a journalist and, and went during my work in Mediacorp. And I've stayed true to, to my passion since day one. When I got, you know, I mean, of course, after landing the job, um, everything was fine for two years. Um, and then after that, I, I, I didn't really. So I got married when I was 24, mm-hmm. uh, 23, sorry. And I had a kid at 24. Mm-hmm. Um, so being a journalist, I dedicated a lot of my time to my work. Um, it was, I loved it. I, I think I, I love my job more than my husband. My husband knows that too. So oh, no, he's going to hear this, you know. <laughs> he's okay. He, I think he's seen enough to even agree to it, you know. <laughs> okay, going, going back to um, your early starts as a journalist, right? Um, what areas or beats did you cover? 
So, um, because I joined um Tamil newsroom, mm-hmm. you don't have a particular beat. You okay. you do everything. You don't have that much of manpower or journalist for them to be dedicated to different beats. Then I did everything, and I think that's fantastic. What did you enjoy? Politics, education, mm. and youth. Yes. Okay. I have special interest for youth. Yeah, because I'm a youth, you know. <laughs> What's what's the one case or news that was most memorable for you as a journalist? <laughs> I got a good story for you. So um, I was I was six months pregnant. Um, yeah, and then there was this stabbing incident at Jurong. I clearly remember it's a love issue, and then the guy stabbed the girl below. So I went to make a coverage on it. Um, and then I wanted to be, you know, me being that very excited journalist. I'm like, I'm gonna follow them to the hospital. Let's go. And then we went to NUH, and then we were filming from inside the van at the emergency ward where where the family members were there. So I went there. We were standing with we had we had uh, reporters from other news channels. We had SD Tapau, um, and then we had um CNA. All of us over there, but the mother of the the daughter didn't want to speak to any of us. Mm-hmm. So I quietly went to her. I was like, "God, give me some luck." And then when I quietly sat down behind beside her and I spoke to her, I said, "Mom, you know, listen, you know, if you're not gonna tell me your side of the story, then it becomes a very vague thing, you know." Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want to come up with a story, especially when you have a when you have two people's life involved in it, you want to try and say as much facts as possible rather than, to t- you know, just cook up something from it. So I said, you know, um, auntie, maybe you want to think about it and, and just tell me some superficial information at least for me to string the story because I don't want to come up with whatever we hear. I think it, it's only authentic if I can come hear from you, but only if you're okay with it. And she was okay. She said, "I will only give it, give you the interview. You know, I don't this, want others. I don't want to give it to anyone else." This was the victim. This was the victim's mum. Mum. And you being six months pregnant, I guess, gave you like an edge, like very pitiful. Want to tell you the story? Is it? No, I didn't give that kind of face, lah. But you know, but the auntie was willing to share it with me because I mean, Fraser, my 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 whole point is not to sensationalize it, but rather. You know, it is their daughter's life at stake, and then you have another guy who stabbed her. You don't know what's the true story unless they tell us. Right. You know, uh, and I don't want it to be a very shallow story. I wanted to say what were the facts. Mm. And when she agreed, so I I started recording. You know, I had my notepad, I had my uh, phone, and I was recording. The auntie was sharing with me details. Of course, the rest of the reporters crowded around us, but she was speaking in Tamil. Lah, she was not speaking in uh mm. in English. And my cameraman was not there. My cameraman was filming from the van because they didn't want any camera over there. So I was here asking her question, just just like uh, halfway through, the victim's um, uncle came in and he screamed. He screamed. He snatched my 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 uh what do you call that? My notebook. Yeah, my my notebook. He tore it into pieces. Threw it inside the dustbin. He pushed my phone away, and he said, "All of you disperse. I'm gonna sue you. I'm gonna make a police report." So, all the reporters ran away, and me being quite, I was quite big already at that point in time. I was just shocked. I was angry. I was fuming because how could you touch my notebook? That's where I have all the details, man. From morning, I'm slogging for this. And then he was like, "You better get out." Everything was being recorded on my handphone, and I was so angry. I, I, I was nearly on the verge of tears already. So I just told thank you to the to the to the mom. I said, "Please take care." And then I looked at that um the uncle, and I told him my intention is not to sensationalize it, but it was only for the goodness of both parties. 
Um, and I and I told him, I think what you did was very wrong. You shouldn't have torn my leg. But he was just shouting. Uh, and, and I did not do this without... Um, the mom gave me consent. So, and then I came back to the office. I was super upset. Because do you, do you get to rescue my, your notebook and your phone? No, because it was like inside my... No, no, my, my phone was... Yes, I picked it up. Um, but my, my notebook was inside the dustbin. Down deep inside the dustbin. And I was too angry and, and shocked. So I came back to office. I sat down. You know, I, I was really... I, everyone could see that I was very tense and upset. But I told myself, no. I mean, this is what we face. I understand from their point of view. Uh, but the mum gave me content. And, and even before I left, she said, Amma, I'm so sorry. You know, we're so sorry for what he did. You can use whatever you, you have on hand and, and go ahead, please. Because I told you the truth. I leave it to your good hands. This is what she told me when I was leaving that scene. I what came back, Amma? I said... Oh, Amma means... Um, just, just, just like dear. Oh, okay. Yeah, don't worry. Yeah. So, uh, so I came back to office. I told myself, I don't have footage. I don't have anything. You know, all I have is some B-rolls of the block where the scene, you know, that, that, that crime scene is. And then I, I said, you know what? I went to my editor. I said, he tore my notebook and I'm very upset. All my stuff were there. But at the end of the day, you do not depend on your notebook. I still remember a lot of details. So I quickly wrote my story. And we went ahead using the audio recording. We played the audio recording and, and said as received and then sent that by the mom. And then you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> um, one year later, I met them at Saipusan Festival. I was covering at a, at a temple. Uh-huh. The mom, the, the victim was better, um, recovered. And then um, the uncle was there. They came in and, and they were very apologetic to me and they spoke to me. These are things that you take away you know, mm. through this journey. So I will never forget that incident. You, you mentioned that um, there was another case that you covered that you're particularly proud of. Um, I caught snippets of it, I think, off cast. But could you tell me that story again? I think there was this investigative <laughs> journalism that you did. Yes. Yes, I am extremely proud of it. I am happy because um, in Singapore, we were able to do something <laughs> uh, interesting. So um, so when I was in Tamil News, um, I, I wanted to do, I had this uh, scoop that moon, uh, mates were being moonlight, uh, sorry, moonlighting mates were still happening in the community. And I did lots of research, nearly two months of research, quietly researching, talking to so many. I think I spoke to nearly 50 uh, foreign domestic workers, really understanding what is happening on the scene. And then on the third month, I told my boss that I'm going to make a two-part video of this and we're going to go undercover with hidden cameras. And we, I want to find out whether this is really happening it was cool. It was like a movie scene. We had to flan. And then the only people in the team were myself, my cameraman, my sound man. So when we role played going inside, um, you know, Little India and then trying to see what the mate agencies were doing, we had to role play amongst myself. I couldn't go. People could recognize me. So I was at the van where the recording was happening. So we left the camera there. We had our audio in. Uh, and then I had to put in the hidden camera with my sound man or my cameraman. We went to a couple of places and they took turns to go in. And it was all recorded. So when we came back in, we did find out that three um, agencies actually were moonlighting their mates. So As what? Um, I reported. Uh, sending them. So you are, you are not allowed to send your foreign domestic worker to work outside as part-time uh, or work in other households or even, you know, go down on their, on their um, weekdays to, to work in other, other houses, right? Mm. It is against law to do that. Mm-hmm. But we found out that the agencies themselves were deploying, which is wrong. You see, that's the whole crux of the story. And after I um, found three of them, 
we came back it was it was a huge project because um i was single-handedly doing it and uh we also had to speak to mom to say that guys you see we have the evidence we have all this because you bust three people you are supposed to hand them over to um, the ministries actually so yes we wrote in and then it was and then my our legal division in media corp also stepped in to see if there were any issues with the footage we had to change the footage as in when i say change uh we cannot just display whatever with, like that you know um because because of other legal complications so we had to work on the footage and, and piecing the whole story together and uh, that was the <laughs> that was the moment where it, it was a huge um it was my proudest moment in my my job it's a sense of achievement and that was exactly what i wanted to do all these years we needed a good story and to really play our part in the community i think i i always felt that sense of responsibility that i had to play my role in a way on or, or, or another yeah i mean i i love a good exposé like i i crave for for stories like that where it's investigative journalism but i think there's very rarely that does anything happen in singapore so like yeah. the stories also like because everyone's pretty much careful we are too good in a sense we don't have but- issues man <laughs> yeah, so I I love a good a good story like that, and I think being able to kind of be undercover. So so did the did the agency suspect anything that you guys were undercover or recording? Ah uh, no. So mm. yeah, so I mean they did try to say, are you coming from somewhere? Are you coming from somewhere? I think one of the footage had that that question from them, mm. but my very talented soundman and cameraman could could <laughs> could get away with it lah. So yeah, no suspicion. Nice. Um, how important is minority representation to you, where you work, um, but also in what is being portrayed in the media? Can I can you just explain what you mean by portrayed in the media? Um, for example, in in the news, um, I think there was a recent coverage about three families during COVID, where um, three families of different socioeconomic backgrounds. The one that was the affluent family was a Chinese family. Um, and then the one oh. that was a middle income, and then there was one that was lower income, and I think the lower income one was a Malay family, and how people saw that as a way to kind of represent the stereotypes, right? That that we see in other media sources. So things like that. How how is that? How important is this kind of mi- minority representation to you? It is extremely important for you. That that example, yes, even I um read it and and saw it. Um, I was a little upset. I think as media, we it is so important for us to be neutral in that sense. You know, minority or not, you are a citizen of Singapore at the end of the day, and all citizens, each of us, have your own rights to express yourself, to be treated the same with each other. Oh my God, I sound like a politician, but <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but what is more important is that for minority representation. I know. I mean, this is something that goes back long. Um, you look at Lee Kuan Yew. Lee Kuan Yew set the stage, even in terms of the politics scene, that everyone needs to have representation, which is how the GRCs came about. You know, because you don't want minorities to be left behind. Um, and then schools. You and then even in HDBs, you have like you know um right you, you you there's a certain percentage of indians there's a certain percentage of malays and certain percentage of chinese who can live in that block so it is very crucial because if we are not careful about this then it will lead to huge issues it's it's very easy for us to spark something huge out of it you see so i think it is very important minority representation 
I, I thought it was interesting that you brought up GRCs and even the, the racial quotas um, for HDB because if anything, I felt like that was quite arbitrary in a sense. I don't think they help to improve racial harmony. If anything, it made me more conscious of my race and making sure that um, someone of my race is being represented, whether in politics or whether you know I don't start forming a Malay cluster in public housing. If anything, I think it might have had a slightly negative impact. You know, there are people who um, there's that sense of tokenism, right? So for a member of uh, five or four, you have one. You must have one Malay or Indian person. But is that person truly a representation of us? And you mentioned that minority representation. It has to be the right representation, right? It has to be the right person to represent and speak yes. up for you. Yes. So yes. So that's, that's so that just just issue. on the yeah. point. Mm. Just mm. on the point, I mean, um, you see, in a sense, what you're trying to tell me is we are forced to adhere to these racial quotas over here. Yeah, I mean, it, it might be arbitrary. It might be a, a, a way of like, you know, uh, um, trying to force yourself to stay with, with other races. But babe, if you do not have those and then you have media, a whole block of um, Indians, a whole block of Chinese and a whole block of Malay, you don't even have any interactions mm. today. I have my uncle, my Chinese uncle. I speak to my Malay auntie every time I bring my son to school. She will come and talk to my son. I love it, man. I love it. I mean, certain things will irritate us. Certain things do irritate us. Even I do get irritated. But I think at the end of the day, everything has a reason somewhere. And it's super important for us to really understand what if this was not the case. Hmm. We never, we always are straight and ready to criticize something, but we never think about what if this is not the case. It is a huge question where I think all of us have to answer. If you want to criticize something, go ahead, man, but give me something proper. Tell me something proper. Is this a Tell personal attack? No. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. But, but I think even myself, I tell myself. So if I am angry about something, I will tell myself, okay, you are not happy with this policy or you are not happy with this way of, of a competition being maybe held. What is another solution you can give? And if you know mm. the solution, pass it to the right person who will be able to deliver it properly. That is where I say, you, whether you are represented or not, the person who's representing you is very important. Mm. That person needs to speak up because you cannot have thousand voices going together. You have one voice who is actually echoing all of us, you know, and mm. go and, and, and make sure that person is right. Mm. Fair enough. I mean, I, I completely agree with you with, with regards to picking the right person, but then, then that becomes the issue of, I feel responsible as the only Malay in my company to, to be a representation of my, my culture and my people when it shouldn't be the case, right? I mean, I am my own person as well. So there's, there's I mean, there's this very unique um, circumstances and, and feelings that, that, for people like us as minority, especially in industries where there's not many of us around. Babe, I think, um, you see, rather than to not have anyone, you are there, you are the subject matter expert over there. Even mm. in my office, I'm the only Indian over there. I think it is very important for us to understand that you are there to, to really represent your, your culture or, or even your, your religion, your race what they are supposed to say in that sense. Mm -hmm. So rather than to really see, you know, all of us are supposed to understand each other. I agree. I agree that all of us are supposed to understand and, and try. I do, you know. It's not like I don't know how Popia says, right? But mm -hmm. when you have someone of that origin who knows about it, you have special, um, how do I say, you have a good 
yeah, responsibility. You have good information. So I think at the end of the day, we should all also focus on the output of of what we are focusing on. Mm-hmm. Output, yeah, that's that's true. Um, you're also a mother with two young kids, right? Um, you yes! know how. Wait, wait. You know, you know how in interviews, right? People always ask, "How do you manage all of this?" I'm not going to ask about you. I'm going to ask about your husband. How does your husband manage you. all of this? Oh. <laughs> okay, so um. I am very successful career-wise. I am very proud of my work. I I have won awards and accolades and achievements. Yes. That looking back in two thousand and nine, ten, when I started my internship, I wished I could do. And today, I have done it, and I have more to do. And all this is because of my family, my husband. We dated each other, and from then, from from that time itself, he knew that I am a very career-oriented person. But I'm also very family oriented, so it's a very funny mix, love myself itself. But he knows that I have so much of dreams and and so much of, um, I am just eager to achieve in my career, and there's a lot I want to do, um, and he has always been someone pushing me from the back. Mm. Never once has he said, "Do not go for this" or "Don't take this interview." Never once. The only thing he tells me is. Maybe you can have spoken well, lah. Maybe your dressing can be a bit nicer. You see, your hair over there was a bit bad. So I was like, he was my, he was my critic from top to bottom. He was my critic, but he is also the person who made me springboard from one to another. And every time I had to make a very critical decision, he's the one I'm, I'm, I am turning to and and talking. Mm-hmm. So, um, and 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 my husband also is in the media industry. He's a animation artist. He's a graphic mm-hmm. designer. His name is Jagan, and uh, I try my best to support him. But unfortunately, I feel that I have not supported him as much as he has supported me, and I feel bad about it. Um, mm-hmm. so I try as much as possible for his projects where I can do my part. I try to play my part, but definitely he's been the, he's been my hundred percent support and and. And yalla, he should be given an award for this. Um, and apart from him, my kids, uh, my my parents, my mother-in-law, uh, and I have a wonderful helper. And my sister, my sister has been in place of me teaching them and and taking care of them. Values. My parents have been there, ensuring that they are well taken care of with my mother-in-law and my helper. So thanks to these people, because I think this is like a chain reaction. If one snaps, the rest of it just collapses. And mm. I am. Touchwood, very very grateful for all these people in my life. I also have fantastic friends, um, who are the worst critics in my life. Like they criticize me like no one, which makes me a better person. Um, of course, my sister is also a very bad critic. I think uh, critics me criticizes me very well. I think it is very important for us, as much as there are people clapping hands and saying good job. There needs to be a lot more people saying this was wrong. This could be better, and that is how you mold yourself to be better when you when you move forward to your, yeah, in in your career. Hmm. What would you say to listeners who, or, or anyone who's looking to make a career switch to journalism? Um, what's your best advice to them? To journalism, to people who want to to consider a career uh, in journalism, what's your best advice? If you really have the passion, you come in. If you don't, and you doubt it, even a, even one percent, don't. Why? And the reason why I'm saying this is because journalism. I mean, a lot of us see people who speak on air and that thirty seconds of fame, and then you get to travel overseas with ministers, with with for overseas assignments. 
But there's a lot of things that goes behind the scene, Farisa, from writing scripts, from editing, from running after people, getting boxes on the street. Hi, ma'am. Can I have a quick box from you on this? And that person will just say, I got no time. Bye. You know, and and I mean, it happens to even um, maybe people who are trying to get surveys on, on the street, but there's a difference. We have a timing to 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 reach. You know, my bulletin is at 8.30, 9 o'clock. I need to file my story. I need to be back in office by 6.30. I have one hour to script and the next half an hour to edit and punch the story out. It is pressure. It is stress. When I'm at work, I do not pick up calls from my family at all. You know, I I lost my family time. I did not see my kids grow. Um, it was sad. I mean, a lot of things have been had been very difficult. But that sense of achievement when your story goes on air with your name, that is what you are. That is what you've you've worked hard for. So journalism, you want to come in. You want to try. You need to know from A to Z what it is. It is not just about holding that mic and saying 30 seconds. It's not about just speaking English well. It's about a lot more of stuff, you know. And, and I think you need to have that, that, that passion. You need to have that confidence. You need to have that determinance uh, to do, really do well. Now. And, and you need to really be sure that this is what you want to do. Even for myself, I had setbacks. Um, after two years, I left the job again. But again, when I was paid way better, Farisa, I was paid nearly 1.5K, more than the salary at, at MediaCorp uh-huh. from whatever I was doing. But within nine months, I told I took that, I took a pay cut, same thing, and I went back to MediaCorp again because it's a calling. Mm. <laughs> no, it's because I felt that I did not fulfill um, my role properly as a journalist. I did not feel satisfied. Mm. Um, I, I did not feel like as though I've done something that I wanted to do so I went back to it so you, if you're a journalist first thing you will, you will strive for it until the end you know it is, it is just a very tough job and a lot, of, a lot of them are very appreciative and if you want to join journalism go for it but always know the whole picture before you do anything this is not just for journal for mm. every other job but for journalism, why I'm saying is because it can be physically and mentally grueling. Your social life might be, uh, you know, affected because because you're just on, the, on your toes all the time. But it is satisfying. It is so good. Ella, thank you for your time. It's been wonderful having you here. Um, and that brings us to the end of this episode. To all, thank you for listening. This is Frankly, my dear. I'm Fariza, and you have been honestly lovely. I will see you next time.